Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and this week we'll be talking about the 2011 film Absentia, directed by Mike Flanagan and starring Katie Parker, Courtney Bell, Dave Levine, and Justin Gordon. In this film, a woman who lives by a tunnel struggles to find answers to her husband's mysterious disappearance. <laughs> just a woman who lives by a tunnel. Yeah, just your everyday woman. <laughs> <laughs> living by a tunnel. <laughs> totally normal tunnel. Yeah, we, we all know that that person, right? <laughs> um, oh, if you're new to the show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front. Then we'll take a quick break, you'll hear some music, and then we'll jump into the plot review, hit some spoilers, and get into our review of the film. Brian, uh, oh, before we get too far, am I saying absentia correctly? I think you are, yeah. Oh, cool. Was that a term you're familiar with? Um, no, I don't think so, but uh, it, it has a, a meaning specific to the title. The character's husband disappeared seven years ago, and she's filing a death certificate. Uh, the process is called in absentia. Yeah. Death in absentia. Yeah, I'd never heard of that term before. That, that's really interesting. Yeah, I guess just Latin for absent, <laughs> I would assume. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess um, it sounds like there's like a long process for when you can file something like that after someone's gone missing. So it's kind of cool insight into like the legal process behind that. Yeah, I wonder how accurate that is. She's got to wait seven years. Yeah, I, I guess. I assume I can only assume Flanagan did his homework on that one. I would hope so. I mean, a part of me believes it. I, I know, like, with the death, like, there's, like, a lot of legal stuff that uh, you go through in, like, assigning ownership or, like, processing the will. And so, yeah, if you don't have proof of death, then it's it's believable that there's some kind of long-term, uh, complicated, messy uh, court system that, that just seems imaginable, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yep. Um, but I was, I was really excited to revisit Mike Flanagan. I think it's been a long time since we've done... One of his films, I want to say the last one might have been Dr. Sleep. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Wow. And we talked more about him before we actually started the podcast. Oh, no we kidding. we were just doing this for fun. Like, uh, Yeah, I think we watched Hush together and Before I Wake and Oculus. Yeah. Gerald's Game. Oh, wow. We didn't do any podcasts on those? Mm, I don't think we did a podcast on any of those. Wow. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, yeah, uh, I, I feel like when we started this podcast, he was like one of my favorite directors just based on like those films we just mentioned. So I, I was really excited to kind of revisit him. And this sounds like this was his first feature length film. So it's kind of cool to go back to his roots. He has some other feature lengths, but this is his first feature length horror. Oh, he, he does. Uh, like Like which ones? I thought so. Um, I thought he had one. Oh, shit, I didn't write any of them down. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm talking out of my bottom, but I thought he had a couple of dramas that were feature length before Absentia. Oh. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. You could be right. Uh, yeah. I mean, even in the uh, Kickstarter videos for Absentia, he says, like, hi, I'm Mike Flanagan, director of oh. blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Make Believe is an hour and a half. Still Life is an hour and a half. Hmm. Yeah. Ghosts of Hamilton Street is an hour and 46 minutes. Sure. Those all say student film, though, so I'm not sure. Like, yeah, th so those would be feature films, but just not... I mean, even this one was like an independent film, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> they say feature student films, huh? Yeah. On IMDb, they say that. No, on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Uh, Alrighty. I, yeah, I, I don't know what, to, what what that means, but uh, yeah, you're probably right then. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, am. I mean, I don't think anything got much of a release, but yeah, he made them. Okay, <laughs> I cool. think they did some festival routes. Sure, sure, but but it, it seems like this one really might have put him on the radar, just given like the amount of awards it cleaned up on. Uh, you see that list of awards? Yeah, yeah, it did pretty well in the uh, the festival circuit. Yeah, good, strong performance in the festivals. Uh, I think 2011, 2012, 2013, it dominated a lot of uh, awards just as as it was getting released in different audiences. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, I think b- made him like a, a big deal in horror suddenly, and then after this film, those other ones like Hush and Oculus followed. Um, yes. Yeah. And he had done an uh, Oculus as a short before Absentia, but yeah. then he would go on to make Oculus the feature length film in 2013. And the short that he did that was Oculus Three. Is that right? Yeah, it had some kind of crazy subtitle, Oculus Chapter Three or something like that. Yeah, that that really surprised me. Like, first he did a short film called the Oculus Chapter Three, and then like later he did this <laughs> film, Oculus. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I didn't watch that short film, so I'm not sure what the story is with that. Okay. Um, do did you? I can't remember if you've mentioned already that this was partially funded via Kickstarter and. Uh, the the promotional videos for the Kickstarter campaign are out there on YouTube, and they're actually pretty entertaining. Oh, really? Like they're funny? Yeah, yeah, they're funny. You should you should watch them when we're done recording. Oh, cool! I'll check them out. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, just like type in Absantia Kickstarter in YouTube, and you'll find them. Awesome! All right, I'll check that out. And and it yeah. sounded like he had a goal of fifteen thousand. He raised twenty five thousand, so it was a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, but then they say the budget of this film is seventy thousand. I'm assuming um, that was probably afterwards or post production or something. Well, yeah, I'm sure some of it was funded by, you know, out of his own pocket or from other people he knew or production companies or something. But yeah, uh, partially okay. funded via Kickstarter. Oh, okay, so you think the total budget was seventy, and then just like twenty five of that was Kickstarter? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so I mean that's pretty low budget, and this this didn't have a wide release. It had no theatrical release. In fact, it was just v, uh, VOD and DVD. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Pretty limited. And um, did you catch it on? I, th- I think it's on Shutter now, and it was on Amazon Prime up until like last week or something. Yeah, I think I caught it on Prime before it left. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell how many people have seen this. I mean, obviously he's like a big director now. Everyone like loves those movies and his TV shows that he's been doing, but I can't tell how popular of a film this was. You, you have any idea? I don't really have my finger on the pulse on that one either. I'm not sure if this is widely seen and people are going back to check this out or if it's still kind of underseen. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it might be a little bit under the radar, uh, just cause it was yeah. like an early work. Um, did, uh, are you a fan of this guy? Yes and no. You know, I I tend to be around a three for most of his work. I think my favorites are Dr. Sleep and Hush. Mm, Okay. Oculus, I didn't think Oculus was a great movie, but it was scary. That was one of the few modern movies that really got under my skin. I know, I know. That is like such a great, like a real scary film. 
Uh, yeah, I, I loved that one in Hush um, as well. Uh, Doctor Sleep, I think I hated because I, I think Mike Flanagan has a tendency to uh, like really heavily combine horror and drama, and I, I think we'll talk about it in this one as well. And I just felt yeah. like Doctor Sleep maybe um, I, I don't know. Did that lean hard into drama, or was it that it was like too much like X Men? Uh, do, do you remember what the issue was with uh, that one of us might have had with Doctor Sleep? <laughs> I didn't have any issues with it, but your issue, I think, was that you felt like you were watching an X-Men movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you were expecting more horror. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And, and same with, like, Before I Wake. I feel like uh, that one is also... I, mean, I think we both were kind of middle of the road on that one, right? I did not like Before I Wake. That was way too uh, corny and dramatic. And, yeah. yeah. He, he's got a flair for... I don't know. I think we even called it melodrama, actually. But... yeah. He, one of his strengths is his characters. Like, he writes fully fleshed out characters and their stories about characters, but he goes a little too far on that front where it sometimes feels like a stage play mm-hmm. and characters will go off on these soliloquies where it's like, <laughs> uh, who are you talking to? <laughs> oh, man. This it's is like, why... in a the- if you're watching a theatrical production, they'd be like looking up at the ceiling and. <laughs> you know, like yeah. gesturing as they step towards the audience and doing their whole little spiel. Totally, man. This is why I wanted to come back on him because uh, in the last few years, I think he's done these TV shows that everyone loves, like uh, The Haunting of, um, oh shit, The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> Hill right? House and Bly Manor. Yeah, and yeah. Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, uh, Midnight Mass. And yeah, yeah, man, he loves, and I I think the TV show format, uh, that series format works a lot better for like what you just described where characters can like spend a whole episode just like going off on like a long speech, uh, and like kind of avoid like the fact that like what events are happening and stuff. And you can just build it around these like, uh, character, uh, um, I guess it's just like a, a view into a character character study rather than a plot driven movie. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that's what he's been doing on these TV shows. But have you seen any of those yet? I saw, I'm ashamed of myself. I just, I don't get into TV that's not comedy. Right. Um, so I've seen about half of Hill House and then I just stopped and never picked it back up. I want to watch it. It's just, I always have trouble committing the time to a show when I could be watching movies instead. And and did you, did you also like feel like it was kind of dragging or like it was a lot of long speeches or character studies? You know, I didn't... Uh, I think this probably speaks to what you said, that a TV format works better for that kind of thing, because I didn't think it was as egregious in Hill House as it was in a lot of his movies. Yeah, sure, Probably because, like you said, the format of a show lends itself more to deep character development. He's almost like a... It makes sense that he's paired with Stephen King a few times. He's he's into the stories, and he wants to go deep into the stories, so... yeah. He's not an author, but it makes sense that he's into these mini series where he can really dig into the characters. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. And and like I think with the TV show, he's got like how many hours? He's talking about ten episodes, uh, like a fifty minute episode. So he's he's got so much time to like build up these characters, which he loves to do. Right. Um, so yeah, signature move of his, and he also like does a good job of like tying the horror to like individual uh, stuff. I think I, I've seen a lot of similar themes. Uh, I feel like in all of his work. Well, not all, but most of them. Like, you do have a character. Usually, you have, like, some kind of family thing going on. You've got, like, someone addicted or struggling with, like, some kind of drug addiction or something. Uh, Have you picked up on these kind of, like, similar tropes? 
in his stuff. Yeah, that, that's a good point. There are a lot of tropes like that. Like Oculus, um, Before I Wake, both have people who are like institutionalized for whatever reason, as does Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Actually, I don't know if he's institutionalized, but yeah, addiction. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of like yeah. personal uh, Same battles. Same Hill House, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that seems to be like a, a sign of this guy. Yeah, and absentia. And absentia, yep. Yep, exactly. Um, well, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited we're, we're talking about him again, and we should circle back to some of those other films uh, sometime. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, I think we should uh, definitely cover Hush at the bare minimum. Yeah, and did you ever see, uh, is it Ouija that he did? No, I'd like to see that one. That's one of his few feature films I haven't seen. Right, yeah, I thought that was kind of a big release as well. Should probably yeah, get around I haven't seen any of the Ouija movies. Uh, oh, yeah. I, th- I think, I feel like I've seen one of them. I'm not sure which one. Um, any other background? I mean, it seems like I, I didn't recognize anyone here. I, I don't know if you did. A lot of pretty indie cast here. Yeah, it's a pretty indie cast, but at the same time, he likes to work with people repeatedly. So, Katie Parker, the, I guess there are two female leads in this, Katie Parker and Courtney Bell. And Katie Parker, um, has been in Hill House, Oculus, Dr. Sleep, and Bly Manor. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah, sometimes in very small roles. Interesting. Um, same with Courtney Bell. She was in Before I Wake in Oculus. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Uh, as, as and like Courtney the- Bell was actually seven months pregnant during production. That wasn't fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they wove that into the story pretty well. I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 87 for critics and only 49 for users. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I forgot to check that. No idea of like I guess there was no box office here since it no was no box a, office number. Yeah, there's right. not a whole lot of background information out there on this movie. Right, right. Um, one thing I wanted to discuss was the subgenre of this. This little subgenre is sometimes called cosmic horror or Lovecraftian. Hmm. And I know we get on shaky ground when we discuss Lovecraftian because in an earlier episode on, I think that was in the Void. We kind of stumbled through what Lovecraftian meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think it's still kind of tricky, but I, I've read some Lovecraft since then, and I found a definition on a website called MartianMigrainePress.com that is kind of the best single-sentence definition of Lovecraftian that I've ever read. So hmm. I'm going to read that. Okay. So they say, In Lovecraft's worldview, the boundaries of our existence are porous and fragile, and the threshold between our world and other more raw and powerful worlds is constantly being tested, probed, and violated. So that that that's Lovecraftian. Interesting. Uh, we kind of say- said, as far as we knew, it just meant with tentacles in the Void episode. Yeah. Oh, got it. Got it. I, I like that word, uh, probed. That's that's cool. Probed. There you go. But yeah, other movies we've seen that I think are kind of Lovecraftian are. Couple of Fulci movies like The Beyond, um, mm-hmm. Underwater could even be considered Lovecraftian. Actually, I think it has some like buried uh, Lovecraft Easter eggs in that. So. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah, so like other dimensions and other worldly creatures who are older than we are as humans and kind of roam the earth in secret hidden recesses or parallel dimensions or something like that. And yeah. At any given point, you could, you know, stumble upon some window or door into their world sure okay that's really interesting uh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I can definitely see how that applies in, in this one yep makes a lot of sense um, yeah for sure this is a very very Lovecraftian movie yeah 
would you also put the tag of uh, folklore horror because there's a lot of uh, ties between this and like whatever that story is about the troll under the bridge? I don't think that it ties that much to the. I mean, I guess it kind of does, but no, I, I wouldn't put I wouldn't put this in that category. Interesting. Oh, just because you don't think uh, it's a strong tie to that story. I don't think the tie to that story is all that strong. I agree with you, but I think he was intending for it to be like a a nod to that. At least, like I saw that in some like interpretations, and like that book is in the reference in the movie. So maybe he didn't do a good job. I I do feel like he was intending to try to bring that into like a more modern setting or something. Yeah, I mean maybe, maybe. But, but yeah, um, we, we we can talk about it if, uh, in the review if we think uh, that was a half baked idea or not. Yeah, I think it's either. A, I think it probably is a bit of a half baked idea if sure. he meant for it to be a bigger thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, and and yeah. oh, sorry, cosmic horror then is also the same thing as Lovecraftian horror. Basically, yeah. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Um, anything else before we head into uh, a couple announcements and an Ohio connection? Uh, no, I don't have any background. Go for it. Okay. Well, our first announcement is that we have a shout-out to give to Alan Brill. Alan's daughter Diana got in touch with us and told us he was a fan of the show. And frankly, this is the first time anybody has asked us for a <laughs> shout-out. So, Alan, we hope you're having a good 2022 so far, and we're glad you're digging the show. Happy New Year, Alan. Yeah, Happy New Year. And announcement number two. So, guys, we've covered Scream 1 and 2 and 3 in anticipation of the new Scream film. And we're going to do Scream 4 as a Patreon exclusive, as a treat to the Patreon supporters. I think that should probably be out by the time you hear this. If not, it will be very soon. Uh, If you want to check that out and you're not a Patreon member, just go to HorrorMovieClub.com and click the big orange Patreon button. And for a dollar a month, you can access that episode as well as a few other bonus episodes that are out there. And there's no commitment. So you can always cancel after a month or so. And, so thanks uh, again, Patreon supporters, for, for hanging in there with us. And, and Brian, like two weeks from, I think, when we're dropping this episode, we'll drop Scream 5 as well, right? Yes. Yep. Cool. It'll be this episode. Then next week is The Blood on Satan's Claw. And then the week after that will be Scream 5. Cool. Exciting. Exciting stuff indeed. You got an right. Ohio connection for us? I've got an Ohio connection. First Ohio connection of the new year. Well, not really, because Hostel came out already. Um, let's see. Alex says, Absentia is an independent supernatural horror film written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Flanagan has quickly become one of the hottest horror directors with credits that include films Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep, and both of TV's haunting anthology series Hill House and Bly Manor. Bly Manor. His follow-up to Absentia was the supernatural psychological horror film Oculus, starring, among others, longtime character actor Rory Cochran. Cochran will be most familiar to many as the hippie stoner Slater in Dazed and Confused or Lucas in Empire Records. More recently, he starred alongside fellow Dazed star Matthew McConaughey in 2017's White Boy Rick, which was partially filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. Cool. Side note, while the cast was in town filming, Rory Cochran stayed at a nearby apartment and was a regular customer at Jukebox, twice Whoa. bringing with him fellow actor and day star Cole Hauser. Wow. Damn. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know celebrities were hanging out at Jukebox. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Coincidentally, this is the first Ohio connection where I actually forgot to say that Alex owns and operates the Jukebox Bar and <laughs> Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. So swing by. Swing by and maybe you'll brush uh, brush shoulders with Rory Cochran and Cole Hauser. Yeah, awesome. That's uh, Okay, man. All That's right, it cool. for me. Nice, nice. Great connection. Thanks, Alex. Um, all right, yeah, man. that was a great one. Yeah, that was, that was a really good one. Uh, all right, so how about we jump into the plot, uh, we'll review it, hit some spoilers. Uh, sound good to you? Let's do it. All right. Hey, before we do that, though, can we take a quick break? Uh, I just got to check on something outside. Okay, yeah. Go for it. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry, I'm, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Everything okay outside? Yeah, everything is fine, but uh, I was calling your name, and I, I didn't hear for a while, so um, I started to go down the process of trying to follow you as a missing person who died so I could uh, get some of your belongings over here. But uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess five minutes wasn't enough time. <laughs> yeah, this is where we have that awkward conversation where I tell you that you're not in my will. Oh, come on, dude. After all this time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll change that shortly. The so, millions of dollars we've earned from this podcast are all, all my wife's now. <laughs> Damn. All right. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, let's let's jump into the plot. Um, so this movie it kicks off introducing us to Trisha. Uh, she is the pregnant woman that uh, was actually pregnant in real life, as Brian mentioned. But uh, she is pregnant in the film, and she lives next to a tunnel. And we learn that her husband has been missing for more than 10 years, or almost 10 years, one of those. And she's- Seven the- years. Oh, seven years. Okay, got it. Thanks. I don't know where I got 10 from. Um, she's in the process of getting the state to declare him dead in absentia, which I, I guess takes a long time to do. And um, you, know, you have to have like certain types of evidence to show that he's truly missing. So it's been a long, arduous process for her. But she wants to move on with her life, and to do so, she needs to get this thing uh, done with. Within the first uh, few minutes, we're also introduced to her sister, Callie, who we find out has been a bit estranged. She's been on the road for a long time. She's a recovering drug addict. addict. Uh, so I think we got our uh, Mike Flanagan kind of trope in there. We also, uh, I, th- I think the, you know, a lot of these early scenes set up a, a great kind of strong bond and connection between these two sisters. They're working through the process together. They're talking about you know, what they think might have happened to the husband. So I, I think you get some nice kind of like heartwarming bonding scenes between the sisters. What, what did you think? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, they're estranged and have some rough stuff in their past. But yeah, there's a lot of bonding and very human moments and interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Again, an area where he excels. Right, right. Yeah, we're, we're like at Red and Mike Flanagan's territory here. Um, and, uh, the, yeah, I mean, I, I think Trisha, you can tell, like, is obviously like, it's, it's been really hard and traumatic on her. So it's nice to see her have someone to kind of lean on and open up to. Um, but then there's also some scary stuff going on where Trisha's kind of having these visions of her missing husband, uh, whose name is Daniel. And they're kind of scary. Like, uh, it's him in the dark and his face is all messed up and he's calling to her and grabbing her. Uh, so you have a few like jump scares there. What did what did you think of those? I thought they were pretty well done. I, I I think he does a pretty good job with jump scares. Like he's not throwing them at you left and right. He's fairly restrained with them. But yeah, 
Um, he does use them here and there, but I think to pretty good effect. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he does a good job of like building them up and the suspense around them. I wasn't crazy though about the face and like the effects he had going on in the face. It seemed like the really... appearance of the ghoulish Daniel wasn't that great, right? Yeah, <laughs> it could have been a little better. But yeah, I, a lot of this film you got to take uh, for what it is because of like the low budget. So you got to give him some credit there. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The the ghoulish uh, features weren't that great. Also, did you feel like so far the lighting is like really bright? The lighting is pretty bad in the movie. There's a scene that takes place in night at night in the house, and it looks like an old black and white movie. It's really bad. Yeah, um, the night. There's seems- a lot in this movie where you just have to brush it off. It, it's it's kind of student filmy, you know, with that 70k budget. It, it shows sometimes. Yeah, I had a mind. And just notes- the like inexperience of Flanagan at this point in his career shows. Right, right. Inexperience and like yeah, lack of budget. Yeah. Um, I, I had in my notes porno lighting. I don't know if you've uh, if if that's felt familiar at all. <laughs> like, <this laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, did you feel like it extended to like the acting or anything as well, or did you feel like so I far the acting? The acting was actually pretty good. Um, again, I think anything that felt clunky was the dialogue. You know, where he goes a little too heavy on the dialogue and it becomes a soliloquy. Mm-hmm. I thought the acting was pretty good all around, except for the detective. I didn't oh, okay. think his performance was very strong. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to the detective, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, um, I, I, I thought Callie did, was doing an amazing job, but and, and Trisha was like, "Yeah, you're right, decent." Uh, but yeah, the detectives that we'll talk about not, not so great. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so this one morning, Callie goes out for a jog uh, through the tunnel that's right p- next to the house. And while she's running through there, she runs into this guy who's lying on the ground, who's asking for help. She acknowledges him, and the guy is really shocked that she can even see him. He asks her to relay a message to his son, but Kelly kind of brushes it off and runs off. Um, She comes back later to the tunnel with some food and some Tupperware, but the guy is gone, so she leaves it at the entrance of the tunnel. You use a lot of Tupperware? Oh, yeah, man. Really? Uh, yeah, I love Tupperware. Why wouldn't I? You use Tupperware? Uh, I hate it, man. I mean, it, it's everywhere. Like, uh, I, I I don't like to use it. I, I just feel like uh, anytime you leave Tupperware, like you leave the house with Tupperware, it just ends up like you're never getting that back, right? It's 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 just like a, a, a loss leader. Well, I mean, I don't leave the house. <laughs> it's not a problem for me. <laughs> you just stay at home with all your Tupperware. <laughs> I mean, you do not use Tupperware at home. Uh, no, we, Are you a psychopath that just puts a plate of food uncovered in the fridge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish. No, unfortunately, my wife loves Tupperware, but I, I just feel like it's one of those weird things in society where people just walk around Tupperware and you leave it at a friend's place, you're never seeing it again, or you give it to someone and then you expect to see it again, but it becomes this weird obligation that someone has to like return it to someone, and then like you're left like holding someone's Tupperware, and every time you see it, you're like, oh, man, when am I going to see that guy again because I got this Tupperware I got to give him. Um, it just kind of creates a lot of weird like social interactions. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's just like like, like a, a weird like social contract we have going on with Tupperware, and, and I feel so, like this this film kind of plays into that because after she leaves this Tupperware there at the, this tunnel, this uh, she the next day she comes home and on the front porch she finds like a bunch of old I think they were like coins or like watches or like random like pieces of of stuff like on her porch. Could you could you tell what it was? Yeah, random treasures. It looked like mostly a bunch of old clocks and trinkets. Okay. 
Yeah, so just like yeah, random, random stuff like that. So she figures it was like from the tunnel, so she puts it puts all that stuff back at the entrance of the tunnel. She goes home, and that night she hears like some weird noises from the bathroom, and then uh, she finds that pile of treasures or whatever on her bed, and she freaks out. So they call the police, and the police come by, and uh, they don't find anything. And they warn Trisha and Callie that there have been a lot of robberies and burglaries in the neighborhood, so make sure you're locking your doors and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Would you hate Tupperware less if, if you left it at someone's house, they brought you all these trinkets? Oh, man, totally. That's how it should be, right? <laughs> that, that'd be way better. I, I Yeah, I'd, I'd feel less weird about leaving that kind of stuff then. Hey, man, you left your Tupperware at my house after that party, so here's a clock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it should be. Don't give me back, like, a used piece of Tupperware. Give, give me something that, that that's, like, maybe a little more appreciative. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> a, a, a nice watch. Sounds good. And a fedora. <laughs> and a fedora. <laughs> exactly. You don't think that'd be a lot better? Uh, no, I think you're crazy for <laughs> this Have whole you, thing. <laughs> you don't ever feel weird, like, you. giving someone back, like, a, a stained piece? Because Tupperware, that, that's the other thing. It always stains, right? And then... Now you're holding on to it. Then you go to give it back to that person. It's it's all stained though, right? You're not buying the right Tupperware, man. All, what are you putting in your Tupperware that's not staining it? Um, Almost nothing stains our Tupperware. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I've had stained Tupperware before. But if you get the the good stuff, it, it's not going to stain. Or oh, get really? some glass stuff, man. Oh, glass, yeah. Do you, get that say, plastic out of your life. Yeah, yeah. Glasses, that, that's a good way to go. Right. Yeah, a lot easier to clean, washable. That's that's. that's and a good people one. are going to feel guilty keeping your glass stuff, so they'll return that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Do you think anyone anticipated we talked this much about Tupperware and the Epson chaps? <laughs> I think uh, Mike Flanagan probably anticipated that. I, I think I think he put that in here for this reason. He was hoping someone would it's pick up. It's about Billy Goat's gruff and Tupperware. <laughs> Tupperware. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, she left that Tupperware there. This uh, something about the tunnel that didn't know to, how to process this Tupperware. And so it's just kind of like now in this weird relationship with Callie and doesn't know how to do it. I mean, that, that's kind of what's starting this whole mess here. So, uh, yeah. So so now um, what happens next? Oh, next. Yeah, Trisha finally like is kind of moving on now that she's gotten the paperwork filed away. She's starting to date the detective who uh, is the one that she uh, has this baby uh, that, that, that she's pregnant with. Uh, we find out it's the detectives. So they decide to go on their first date now that she's kind of moving on. But on the first dates, they walk out and she thinks she sees her dead husband again, thinks it's a nightmare, but it turns out it's actually her dead slash missing husband. So he's like suddenly shown back up. Were you pretty surprised to see him? I was. I think he did that really well, actually. That was kind of an oh shit moment for me. Oh, yeah, right? I, I didn't see that coming at all. What? But I feel like we should have. I mean, the, the whole thing was kind of building up to, like, this guy's been missing. We're, like, seeing visions of him. Like, shouldn't we have known he was coming back? We probably should. I mean, I think, though, where he gets you is that when you see visions of somebody, it's probably because they're dead and they're a ghost. So oh, nice you one. don't really expect that he's still alive. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's how we were tricked. Yeah. But he also just does a good job. The appearances are more and more frequent, so you're just kind of used to seeing dead ghost Daniel in the background. And then oh, yeah. There they walk by him, and she's finally like, I'm ignoring this. Like, right. I can't. <laughs> and then the the cop is the one who's like, holy shit. Yeah. So it was like, a cool moment. That Yeah, that, that was really cool. I don't think I've seen that in a film before. That That's nice. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, then... Oh, so yeah, this, this kind of results in a mix of emotions. 
and uh, a flurry of, you know, crazy things happening. So the husband gets taken to the hospital. He's in like the state of shock and trauma where everyone's asking where he's been for the last seven years. And all he can say is that he's been like underneath. So he's clearly kind of like still traumatized by something. They find animal bones in his body and the police are grilling him on it. But he isn't really responding to them. Trisha's kind of a wreck where she's like wants to know where he's been. Um, and struggling to like kind of figure out what this means for her and their relationship. So I, I feel like there's like a lot of emotions here. But the, I, I I couldn't buy into the police like grilling him the way they were. Could you figure that out? Did that make sense? No, to you? that was so. That was just like such a glaring error in the screenplay. Like <laughs> so re- unrealistic and just useless. Like it didn't serve the plot at all. It did. Like, yeah. They, I mean, he's like dehydrated, malnourished. He's got a chronic lack of sunlight exposure and an ill-defined mass in his stomach. And when they find out, it's animal bones in his stomach. So why would someone eat animal bones? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Where were you? Yeah. Like, they're accusing him of lying. Like They're blown away that he still has his wallet after all this time. It's just yeah. so dumb. Yeah, they were like being And then really even aggressive. Trish gets like mad at him for a while. It's just like... Right. And this dude's not like, hey, I'm back. He's like shaking and terrified of everything. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. So dumb. Oh, and he pees his pants, which uh, that reminds me of, of, of uh, one, one of the things you've noticed, right? Like a trend where, uh, what was it? Like men only pee their pants. Uh, when do men pee their pants? <laughs> when they're four. Oh, yeah. But also, like, I think my whole spiel is like men pee their pants when they're scared like it's to sometimes show a man is truly terrified or that maybe even that he's a coward oh and then women peeing their pants is to show that they've lost control and we should be scared of them now oh right yeah yeah that's kind of been the general trend we've seen um yeah but yeah then this one kind of holds true to that right because uh, i think he's yeah he's obviously like really scared and still shaken yeah it holds true to my my theory damn all right yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think the detectives in this film, like both of them, are, are just like a clown show and, and like poorly acted. Maybe dialogue's like poorly written for them too. But I, yeah, I, poorly I just, written and poorly acted. Yeah, actually, yeah. the partner isn't that bad of an actor. He's just, I think, directed poorly. Like, yeah, if I were Mike Flanagan, I'd be like, you know what? Dial back how like much you're chomping on your gum. Like this is like a over the top stereotype. I know the way he was chomping on that gum, like jaws clenched, and uh, yeah, he was, he was just like way too intense. He needed to dial back quite a bit. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I know you're you're like a suburb. Uh, you're a cop, like a detective in the suburbs, man. Chill out. Um. So anyway, uh, one night, yeah. So I mean, I mean, there's like a lot of emotions going on here. It's it's tough. Cops are being ridiculous. But one night, Trisha leaves the house uh, with the intent to break things off with the detective. Um, So she's talking to him. But while she's out, her husband and Callie start talking. And the husband, Daniel, reveals to Callie that uh, she, by giving food and that Tupperware to the tunnel, made a trade for his life. And that's why, like, he's back. But she shouldn't have done that because um the the whatever this entity is it kind of fixates and he also describes it as kind of more of like an insect kind of thing and this is where i think he's holding the book the three billy uh goats gruff that she had brought and kind of saying like yeah it's it's not a troll it's like more like this insect so i think he's trying to draw a parallel here between these two stories yeah um, yeah and then uh 
he says like there's this thing he can hear it in the walls kelly sees like a shadow of like some kind of insect thing like a huge insect thing crawling on the ground um she goes to look for it but gets knocked out and when she comes to she sees uh daniel being dragged away by something so she runs out into the streets uh trisha and the police the detective find her and she explains to them that this creature came and dragged daniel out into the tunnel and the police and Trisha don't really believe her because they find drugs in her room. Uh, what did you think of this? Was this like pretty climatic for you? I think so. I think I was enjoying where this was going. Uh, how about you? I was a little bummed. Like this felt like a really like climatic uh, and like scary sequence, minus the fact that like we couldn't really see much of the monster. Like we just saw like glimpse of something like scurrying on the ground. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. Uh, was that bumming you out at all? No, I think we've had this conversation a few times before over the years where you sometimes want to see more and I'm happy not to see anything. Oh, okay. You like your imagination to take over. I there. like my I like my imagination. <laughs> I don't have much of one. <laughs> I need someone to spell it out for me. Um the the other thing that that goes on here is like while they're questioning her and they they did this early in the film too, where like they point to alternate things happening. Cause uh like here um, they confront her. They say you were you were just high in your room, and he wandered off because he saw Trisha talking to this detective romantically, and what might have gone back in the tunnel. And they kind of like show that sequence playing out as well. And they did that once only in the film too, when they're talking about what might have happened to Daniel. What would you think of that? Like that idea of like kind of showing an alternate reality alongside of what we've seen. I didn't think that was very useful. I don't think that served the film. It was just like cutting away to a fantasy. Um, I I didn't understand why Flanagan chose to do that. Did you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, uh, I I think if he hadn't put those in there, like, w- audiences could have speculated that oh, maybe like this was uh, a metaphor for you know other things like realistic things or fantasies like that happening. Um, or uh, I think him having it in there, like the way he went about it. I, I thought it's kind of cool because it shows that is this a monster story or is this like a story about it kind of puts the focus back on the human element of like, yeah, is the sister just kind of like still struggling with her drug addiction and you had a husband here who couldn't comprehend what the wife was like doing in his absence. Um, so it kind of like brought like a realistic aspect to it that I kind of liked of like questioning like uh, if this is like a, a ghost story or not. I think it was more to provide the a window into the inner life of the characters and what what they were thinking. Maybe that's what you're saying. Oh, like uh, a window in, in terms. So, so, like, who would have been thinking um, that in, in this sequence, for instance, that Trisha or Callie was just high in her room, and the the guy just walked away because he saw Trisha with the other guy? Wasn't that what the like captain imagined happening? What did yeah. you view that these these scenarios as? Did you think they were alternate realities or just what someone was imagining probably happened in their mind? Yeah, I kind of thought of them as alternate realities or alternate storylines that, yeah, someone's imagining or maybe is actually like what happened. And um, maybe it's the, the whole thing's like a metaphor, like the, the, there is no monster. And it's, it's about, yeah, a family struggling with like what's happening to these guys. But oh, okay, I gotcha. So he was kind of trying to like obscure the the ghost story from our view and and 
make you wonder if it was all just a metaphor and not actually happening. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, Flanagan's all about like the human element, the human drama, the melodrama behind this, this stuff. So it kind of like gave the movie like a few, uh, an added layer of like, there's a, a monster movie on one angle, but on the other side, there's uh, maybe like just a human drama story of uh, no monster happening. But Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. I think that they did it earlier in the film with what probably happened to Daniel, and then we found out that that wasn't true. So I think from then on, it's kind of like mm. clear to me. It was clear to me that it was just in someone's perception of what events that may have occurred rather than yeah. uh, possibly what actually happened. Sure, sure. Yeah. But no. that was an interesting take, but you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man, because I'll, I'll come up at the end again, but I, I think when it comes up at the end, it's, it's more kind of what you talked about or it's like a fantasy. But, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll bring that back. Um, so uh, Trish and Callie get into a big fight after this now that the husband's gone missing again and Callie's lost trust in Trisha. Um, Callie starts doing some of her... Oh, no, sorry, Trisha's lost her trust in Callie. Sorry, I keep getting those names confused. Yeah. Uh, Callie starts doing some of her own investigation and discovers that over the last hundred years or so, there have been all these cases of people going missing uh, around this tunnel. Like there might be some kind of sinkhole or something. But she's convinced that Trisha's husband's disappearance is a part of this. Um, but Trisha and the police are just very skeptical of this idea. The next day, the detectives find another dead body outside of the tunnel. It's not Trisha's husband. It's the first guy that we saw o- early in the film that Kelly had seen while she was jogging through the tunnel. The detectives arrest the dead guy's son, and they find that he had a bag with a dog inside of it that he was going to leave at the tunnel, which I assume was to feed someone. What was your interpretation of that? Yeah, I think he was feeding the creature dogs. He was feeding the creature dogs, but then why did uh, Trisha's husband have animal bones in his stomach? Um, that's a good question. I think maybe the creature, maybe the creature didn't eat the dogs and fed the dogs to the people to mm. like keep them alive or something. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. It could be one of those like regurgitation type things. Or maybe he's like feeding it to the people and like, man, when the cops find you and find these animal bones in your belly, they're going to be pissed at you. <laughs> they're going to question you so hard about that. I don't know why, but they'll be pissed. <laughs> yeah. Good luck explaining that. <laughs> Animal bones and your wallet? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You're fucked, bro. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that You can't stop that duo. Um, so, yeah, they, they arrest the dead guy's son, and they question him, but I, 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 they can't figure anything out. They think he's behind some of the missing animals that have been happening lately. But anyway, that, that night, uh, Trisha gets attacked in her home by the monster and dragged into the tunnel. Callie goes to the detectives. They don't believe her, and uh, they assume that she's on drugs still. So Callie goes to the tunnel and yells the word trade, trying to trade herself for her sister's life. But instead, the monster deposits the fetus of, of the unborn child uh, in the tunnel. Hey, did you pick up on this, that that was the fetus? No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, wait, I, maybe I did. I, I think they don't really show it, do they? Uh, there's like a squishing sound, and then you see like a, a bloody thing. But I, I, I didn't pick up on it when I watched it. I, I okay, read. I didn't totally pick up on that either. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that was like the fetus there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then then Callie tries to run away out of the tunnel, but she gets taken by the monster. 
it's just interesting because we've never seen a direct monster attack here. It's always kind of been on the peripheral, and and uh, and, and that that's why I think that when he shows those alternate realities or those like fantasies or whatever, you can't necessarily discount them because we don't know enough to um, accurately say like no, that didn't happen because we we didn't see the husband getting dragged into the tunnel. Uh, we see Trisha like just disappear. We see Callie disappear. Um, or like it's told like through the narrative of someone and like what they saw, right? If you believe this, then you're on the side of the police who are angry at Daniel for having animal bones in his stomach. <laughs> I mean, I I would have been angry, uh, but I, I mean, I, I probably would have waited like another month to bring up that anger. Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think they were too quick on the on the punch at that one. But, I mean, they they should have been gent- gentler with him because he was like traumatized. But yeah. why would you be angry? It's, why would someone have animal bones in their stomach? They're, even if someone's like eating people's dogs, why would they eat the bones? So so it makes no <laughs> sense. Yeah. What what do you think the correct response is when when you discover uh, animal bones in someone's digestive system? Well, when they've had all these other signs, it's clear someone was like torturing them. So yeah. I would assume they were force-fed this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It just makes no sense. But this alternate timeline you're talking about, yeah, so that's my point. It would mean that Daniel really was just out and about. He had gone mad. I mean, maybe that's why he ate animal bones, because yeah. he was crazy. There you go. Yeah. But it's um, there's also all these missing people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This bag of clocks turns up out of nowhere. Yeah. Three people go missing. Yeah. Uh, another a person dies and everyone sees it. Oh, which person? The uh, the guy that they that, found dead. Um, the guy who she originally saw in the tunnel and mistook for a drug addict. Oh yeah, but I mean, this is California. Like you find dead people on the streets sometimes. People like move to cities, go missing. Um, I just feel like all those alternate uh, scenarios were like pretty realistic in in terms of what they were thinking. Like um, even here, where like now Callie and Trisha have gone missing. They they kind of like have this uh, fantasy that like oh maybe they like ran away somewhere together or alternatively maybe they got killed by a serial killer I and mean, there's just like so many explanations that could be there where like I I, I don't know I, I didn't leave the film like thinking a hundred percent like okay there's like a monster in that tunnel but did, did it sounds like you did yeah I did I did I mean the more you talk about it you are kind of convincing me but there's just too much I I, I think it was really a supernatural story. Mm, okay, okay. All right. So I feel like we may have had the same argument with Oculus. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've definitely had this argument about some film. I figure, I figure what it was. Yeah. Um, um, actually, there's a similar scene in Oculus where she's researching the history and finding other people who strange things have happened to. Oh, with that mirror, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She looks into that whole history, which mm-hmm. I feel like that happens like every horror movie we've been watching. There's always like a scene of someone going to the library or doing a lot of reading or research or something, and, and they find... They, they, I feel like there's always like... That, that, that's a thing in horror films. That's actually a bit of a Lovecraft trademark, too. He's usually got like a scholar who's dug too far into some realm of knowledge and stumbled <laughs> upon something that's perked his curiosity and yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, interesting. This is why you got to avoid libraries. 
so, so yeah, the, the next day, the police are discussing theories of like, yeah, what might have happened? Where did Trish and Callie go? One idea is like they ran away together. The other idea is uh, maybe they got killed by that serial killer, uh, uh, that kid that they had caught the day before. So yeah, they, they don't think there's a monster in the tunnel and, and they're talking about other ideas. So one of the tech, the, the movie ends with one of the detectives. He's hanging up some missing person posters. He thinks he sees Callie's figure in the tunnel, but he realizes it's just his eyes playing tricks on him. And the movie ends showing us that uh, Callie is in the tunnel, watching the detective, and we see some kind of monster claws on her shoulder. Uh, did Did you notice those? I did notice those. So whose perspective would that have been from if if all this was just poppycocking in someone's brain? Oh boy. Um, that's a good, that's, that's a good one, actually. Um, Callie's? And why uh, would the, the detective see Callie? Is he now crazy, too? I mean, you know, you, you see people sometimes that you haven't seen in a while, and, they, and then they're not actually there, right? Like, maybe someone's top of mind, and you look, like, oh, is that them? Oh, no, it wasn't them. It was just oh, I gotta give Callie her Tupperware back. Wait, is that her over <laughs> Yeah, there? exactly. I was just thinking of her and her Tupperware. <laughs> 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 there, there are a lot of reasons. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's like the, the the title of this film. Like, talks about uh, people who are who are missing and the idea of like where your mind goes in terms of like where they are or where they might have gone, and like trying to fill in those blanks and how like the emotion you react as a person to that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm like fifty fifty. Like, is this a, a true story or not? Like, well, is there a monster or not? But I think what Flanagan's trying to do is is just kind of show uh, how similar. Uh, two parallel stories. One, there's a monster. Two, it's just people kind of like dipping out on each other. Cool. But what do you I, think? I like your take on it. I, I, yeah, I think there's something objectively supernatural going on, but it's that's interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So yeah, what did you think of the film overall? I really liked the story and um, the characters. I liked the characters as we already discussed. Flanagan does a good job with that. Um, I like that kind of that we had just had that discussion on it, whether or not you think that that was what really happened or just the character's perception of what happened. Either way, there is a very human story at the center of this. I feel like Flanagan understands that a really good movie has the plot driven by like the stories come from the characters, not necessarily just the events happening to characters. Right. I also think he's good at horror elements. Even when I don't love his movies, he knows what to put on the camera, how much to show and when. And like we said, I think he knows his way around a jump scare, even though he doesn't use them a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got a good imagination, and I think he's got a good understanding of what's scary. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he definitely knows how to like build a scary scene very well and yeah what will scare people and making yeah characters like lovable enough or like believable enough where you're scared for them did you feel like the scares though like i thought the scares were heavy in the beginning or like you know more well developed with the images of like daniel uh taunting or like haunting um trisha but once like the i I don't feel i don't i couldn't tell i didn't feel like the monster in this was very scary did did you I think of it as a caterpillar for some reason, oh, or like yeah. a millipede. <laughs> yeah, I like think that she saw a little millipede in the the sink. She did it. Yeah, she did see like some small bug, but that wasn't it, right? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. It is like some kind of uh, creature, probably like the size of a larger dog, but like insect. Is that what you imagine? 
my imagination was like the size of a tiger. Oh, okay, like a, t- a tiger insect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Exactly, yeah. like a starship trooper situation. Yeah. Um, Did you feel yeah, like that was I, It was more like a ghost story scary at first, and then it became more of a mystery, what's going on in the shadows type scary after that. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I kind of liked both elements of it, to be honest. It was interesting, because, yeah, you had, like, the scares in the beginning, and then, like, yeah, with that, it was more mysterious. I, I think I would have loved to see more scares, like, making the tunnel look scarier, because it just looked like an average tunnel most of the time, with, like, some graffiti on the wall. And then uh, being able to see the monster, like, give us a little bit more of the monster, rather than just, like, a quick figure in the dark, or, like, a, a hand on a shoulder or something. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess the idea of a tiger insect is kind of scary. If it, like, stings, <laughs> I guess, or bites. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm just just a tiger size. Yeah, tiger size uh, insect. Yep. I don't need stripes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also I think like we said, you kind of have to get over the low budget of ness of it. Yeah. Um, if you didn't watch this movie, what that means in this movie to me was kind of lots of B-roll footage, like that just feels very like film school trademark. Um. Mm-hmm. Camera movements and various other flourishes that don't really serve the story, but are just there because, a, a, like, a new director wants to showcase like what they can do. Right. The sound quality sometimes in the dialogue was really echoey, which just kind of sounds like somebody put a iPhone in the room and recorded the, the dialogue. Oh, interesting! I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, it's not throughout, but a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. And then just editing was a little choppy sometimes you'd cut to one person's face right at the same time that the other one begins talking it's just kind of jarring it's Uh, not uh wasn't seamless and flawless editing yeah some funny uh scene transitions i think too yes yeah it's all just a little yeah ragged i I agree with all those and and when i i want to ask you about uh the soundtrack. I feel like there was one oh. song that was like used like way too many too many times. That was like a really like boring slow piece. But what, what that was going to be my next point. It's like <laughs> two two notes over yeah, and over again. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like this really hopeful sounding <laughs> progression. Yeah. Uh, but they sink back into it constantly, even when it's like a dark, depressing time in the movie. It's like this is not a hopeful moment. <laughs> Yeah, it was like they just strung something together on a keyboard and then we're just like, okay, play that many times throughout the movie <laughs> exactly. and, and we're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, That I was bad. With... That was not a strength. Yeah, yeah, that really got on my nerves. Uh, but but I, I agree with everything you said, but then it's like, yeah, shit, I mean, this was like such a low-budget film. Like, how much of that do you hold against it? But yeah, at the core, it's like such an interesting story though, right? Yes. Yeah, I think the story itself is is solid. I, I, it's intriguing. I liked it. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like two pretty solid. Pro- like I thought, Callie was great. Trisha, decent performance. Um, and then you just got to kind of ignore the uh, detectives there. Um, did you yeah, feel like the detectives were bad? Yeah. Did the you dialogue f- in general probably just could have been a little tightened up. Like like we <laughs> talked about. I think that's a Flanagan criticism, no matter what. Sure. Yeah. Like unrealistic dialogue or. Just like too yeah, much I mean, once a character starts like stepping into the spotlight to go on their whole uh, soliloquy, it gets a little like, oh, here it comes, and you know that they're just gonna like <laughs> spill their guts. To yeah, <laughs> it reminds me. Did you ever see the Truman Show? Yeah, 
at one point his he's starting to like catch on that something's up and his wife is talking about their breakfast food as if she's in a commercial oh, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Lady, who the hell are you talking to? <laughs> you talk- yeah. Dude, that's what I kept I feel thinking. like I want to say that to the TV sometimes when I'm watching a Flanagan work. Yeah. I, I kept thinking about that uh, for Midnight Mass, but I, I don't think anyone else uh, accuses me. I think everyone ate that one up. But there'd be times where someone would be like, hey, this is happening. We got to do something. And then the character would be like, hey, did I ever tell you the story about? And then it would just be like 10 minutes on like this unrelated story about like why they became a cop or something. And it's just <laughs> that's such like a Flanagan thing, right? Like he's all about let's tell these character stories that and, and forget about the plot. Yeah. It's yeah. really weird. Which, you know, I, I often have beefs with movies that with underdeveloped characters, so I'm glad that he focuses so much, but yeah, he's he's got to rein it in a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's a balance there. Um, sure. I also felt like they overused the punchline of, I need you to file a missing persons report. Was, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that got a little embarrassing by the last time they did it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to need you to file a missing Because, yeah, I mean, she had to go through all this paperwork to get him declared in absentia. Like, she filed a missing persons report presumably seven years ago but then like when he comes back and then goes away again they're like they make a big thing of like oh god yeah. we gotta tell her you gonna tell her oh i'm gonna yeah. tell her you gotta file a missing person report and it's like oh god yeah. no <laughs> and then <laughs> at the end again right? then they have it again when trish trisha disappears that the detective has to file one it's like i'm gonna tell him nope nope i'll tell him <laughs> come on yeah yeah that's hilarious <laughs> oh man all right well yeah any, any other uh things to share any thoughts or you want to jump to the rating uh i think we'll jump to the rating all right well how, how many fetuses in a tunnel would you give this one? Oh gosh <laughs> i mean every fetus's destiny is, is a tunnel eventually oh that's true <laughs> um some form or another so is this about birth in some way um i give it three fetuses in a tunnel out of five nice I really like the story. I really do like the characters. And I think it's got, it's a creepy concept and has some creepy moments. It's easy to take some shots at mm-hmm. um, just because of Flanagan's style and because of the low budget. But I think uh, you got to forgive the movie in, in certain elements. That doesn't necessarily mean you should bump up your score a point. So I didn't. Yeah. But I think three is a, a fair representation of how I feel about the film. What do yeah. you think? That's great, man. I, I was uh, debating between uh, a three, but ultimately I went with a two and a half. Uh, okay. Just because, yeah, I feel like the scares might have dropped off towards the end. It becomes a little bit more mysterious, um, but then it's like that mystery without fully seeing uh, the monster. But now I wonder if that was intentional because it was playing to like the duality of the story where maybe there's a monster and maybe it's all uh, just an imag- imaginative thing. Um, hey, one, one last thing I want to circle back with you on, uh, the Billy Gro- Goat's gruff tie. So you don't think that was like Mike Flanagan taking that story and bringing it into like a like this interpretation or adaptation um you know maybe but it just seems like it was such a loose tie you know like this in the story um what the the, the goats keep crossing and that troll tries to eat them and they say wait my brother's coming and he's even like bigger and and uh more delicious than I am mm-hmm. and then they defeat the troll in the end but Oh yeah. This didn't I mean the trade element was just kind of like wishy-washy and iffy and she had already taken her sister and then she was like no way to trade for me. So I don't know. It's a loose tie. Yeah, sure, sure. In my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I forgot about that, uh, how that story actually goes. I, I, I thought just like the three uh, goats kind of represented Daniel uh, and then Trisha and then Callie. But um, yeah, I forgot that they defeat the monster at the end, which in this case, obviously, they, they didn't. That's at least according to Wikipedia where I went and got a refresher on the story. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I forgot. That's that's a decent story. I got to read that one. I again. don't remember any goat fetuses in the tunnel, so. Oh, okay. Or under the bridge. <laughs> um, you know what? You just said something that made me think of another Lovecraftian trademark, talking about how you never really see the monster. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft always describes the monsters as like, <laughs> some. it almost is like a literary cop-out who'd be like, indescribably misshapen in a form that couldn't be perceived by human senses and it it's like the cinematic equivalent of not really showing the monster oh okay okay interesting yeah so then it kind of held true to that style That's yeah interesting okay another lovecraft tie cool but right. also just a thing you do when you have a seventy thousand budget probably <laughs> yeah just refer to the monster don't show it <laughs> yeah yeah, no, it's a, it's a smart move, and I think you're right. There is something about it being left to the imagination. Uh, I, I think I just need to like get better about appreciating that uh, at some point. You just got to get a better imagination, man. That's true. I'm, I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. <laughs> Thank you. Please do. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, I think that's all I got. All right, cool. Well, that's been it for our discussion on Absentia. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also have a Discord server where we're chatting up, uh, we're chatting about horror with a few other listeners and horror fans, so you can find that link on our website our logo is by mma pop art so check her out on etsy.com and until next time if you're gonna be rounded up by the police make sure you either don't have all your clothes on you or you have animal bones in your stomach or yeah not both but just one or the other i guess otherwise <laughs> you're gonna... god help you if it's both <laughs> yeah you're in real trouble then but if you've got some Tupperware to return, it might wipe the slate clean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tupperware. Tupperware solves all. Hey, my Tupperware. Here <laughs> you go. Here you go. <laughs> no stains. <laughs> Good deal.